Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson, and on our panel today, we have Eric Ostrich. Hello. Michael Reese. Hello, friends. And Josh Adams. Yo. And today, we are joined with our special guest, uh, Wojtek. Wojtek, can you kind of give a little introduction to yourself? Uh, hi. Um, so I'm Wojtek. I... Um, I'm a member of the Ecto and Hex uh, core teams uh, in the Elixir community, and um, I'm also working at Platformatech, where I get where I'm working on well Ecto and Hex um, and some and some other open source projects, uh, and uh, I'm working with clients as well. Um, besides that, I'm based in Krakow, Poland, and um, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Uh, thanks for having me on. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Great. Well, thank you for coming. There are a few... Uh, uh, so you had a recent blog post kind of announcing um, that the move of hex PM, uh, which I think everyone in the Elixir community is hopefully familiar with, uh, to, the, to using Elixir releases. And so we, we'd love to talk about that, with that uh, and that's moving to Elixir 1.9. We'd love to dig into that. And also just want to talk about, like you haven't been at Platform Tech too long ago. Uh, like there was the uh, August of last year was the uh, blog post announcement saying that you joined the Platform Tech R&D team. So we'd love to hear a little bit about what your experience has been like. Are you working in the office? Are you remote? You know, kind of what's that like for you? Um, yeah, uh, sounds great. Um, should we uh, should we start with the um, Hex uh, stuff or? Well, let's start with the Platformatech. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I've been working at Platformatech for a year now. Um, our R&D team is remote. Uh, so I'm working uh, remotely from Krakow, Poland. And... Uh, uh, as I briefly mentioned, I work uh, mostly on open source projects like Ecto, Hex, and, and some others. And I also work with, with uh, clients uh, as well. And um, yeah, I'm happy to elaborate on, the, on our R&D team and things. Yeah, I would, I would love to know what is the, you know, are there particular types of projects or um, or repositories that the R&D team is tasked with maintaining? Do you guys just pick anything in the Elixir ecosystem to work on? What, what's kind of the, the mission of your team? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, our kind of, our high level goal is to have the most impact on the kind of positive impact on the community. And that's where we kind of choose our projects uh, to work on. Um, so, uh, two of the projects that come into mind that we've worked uh, on since uh, about last year was, uh, well, my primary project uh, up to this point was MyXQL, 
which is a new uh, driver uh, for MySQL database. Um, and another project that kind of came out of the R&D team is Broadway and uh, kind of um, related projects around that, like the SQS connector, RabbitMQ connector, and things like that. Um, and besides that, we, uh, so that would be our kind of primary projects, uh, I would say, that we worked on. Besides that, we maintain um, Ecto. Uh, I help with maintaining Hex, uh, Elixir itself. Um, yeah. There's a lot of great stuff that I'd love to talk about with all this, and I hope, hopefully, we can fit it all in today. Uh, but so the, the main reason we wanted to bring you on is to talk about um, Elixir 1.9. And I think people would love to hear about, I, I know I would love to hear about Hex PM and just, you know, how is this hosted? And I'm, I'm sure you get a lot of volume as people have, you know, deployment pipelines and everything, and they're all downloading, uh, you know, packages constantly. So I'm just curious, like, what's it, what's the service like? Kind of, if you can kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and kind of let us know what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, sure. Uh, so uh, HexPM is uh, deployed on uh, the Google uh, uh, on Google Cloud uh, using the Kubernetes engine. Um, uh, and and that's, that's, by the way, where the releases uh, came in as we uh, deployed with Docker. Um, as, far as, as far as volume, um, to be honest, I don't think volume has, has been a problem uh, recently. It basically just works. Uh, I, I know Eric is probably screaming inside a little bit. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah. Um, so I would love to know just a little bit about, uh, you know, there, so there's a release, um, a main hex PM release that lives in one Docker container. Um, how does that work with other things in, in Google's cloud? Um, like, do you, do you store the compiled, uh, packages in cloud storage? Um, how do those get talked to? Can you share a little bit about kind of the rest of the system around that? Yeah, uh, that's a that's a great question. Um, so uh, yeah, we publish uh, Docker uh, Docker Docker images. We run the containers uh, in in the cloud. So besides, so maybe uh, maybe I, I will talk a little bit more about the architecture, kind of like what Hex PM is uh, composed of. So uh, so there is the Hex PM, which is the, uh, the the web service. So that's the web interface and the API. Besides that, we also have uh, Hex Docs. Uh, which until somewhat recently was just basically just static file hosting for the docs. Um, since about a year ago, that uh, component got out a bit smarter when we introduced private Hex docs. Uh, so as of now, uh, Hex docs is also an Elixir application. Uh, we needed to make it an app uh, to, to handle authentication. Um, Besides that, we also have billing uh, component, which is uh, closed source uh, at the moment. That's also for the for the private uh, packages uh, feature. Um, and finally, we have um, we also have Bob, uh, which I don't know if you heard about. So Bob is just a, a little project that handles out of a lot of uh, automatic stuff that we kind of have to do for the for Hex and Elixir. Uh, so for example, when there is a new Elixir release, uh, Bob picks that up and uh, creates, uh, uh, creates the tarballs, uh, creates documentation, and uh, stuff like that. So 
yeah. Yes, I actually use uh, Bob, and I'm trying to find the link to. Uh, we can hopefully we can put in the show notes to where you can actually see the web page for it, uh, where you can see all the different releases. Uh, one of the things I find most helpful for people, for myself, is like I'm using Visual Studio Code, and it's has like plugins that will let it do um, kind of dialyzer style analysis and give highlighting when it finds problems. But in order for that to work, you have to have the Elixir version and the OTP version compiled for each other. And there's a, it's available on the Bob website, which is like a, a you know, play on Bob the Builder, the, exactly. the little you know, kid show guy. And so it, I'm able to just say, like I use ASDF for downloading, for version managing my Elixir and Erlang. And I'm just able to say, ASDF, download, you know, uh, install, and then a specific Bob built version that has you know, both the Elixir and OTP version bundled together so it works great for me. So yes, I, I'm glad you mentioned that so we could uh, point that out to people. Uh, yeah, so just one more uh, comment about that. Uh, on, um, so Bob also handles um, um, builds, uh, txt file, where there's a list uh, of all of the builds. You can programmatically access that. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, there is also a website uh, that, um, that someone uh, created, which, is, which looks really nice. Yeah, I, I love your usage of the word Bob there. I, I, I in a previous company, had a, um, worked on a system which cross-compiled a bunch of C++ code for different targets, and we named it Bob. And I, I, like, I got teased a lot at that job for referencing a children's cartoon in my project name. And then when I heard about Bob, your project, I sent links to all the people who used to tease me at my old company. <laughs> that showed them. Um, so maybe just one more thing about that. Um, we haven't open sourced it yet. Uh, we are just getting started with it. But we also have a small project called Wendy, which is another character from that cartoon. Um, so she, she's, uh, uh, I think, like an inspector or, or, or someone. And uh, um, the idea behind that project is to uh, inspect uh, some things related to hacks. We haven't really gone far yet, but I was pretty happy with the name of the project, I guess. <laughs> yeah, nice. I had another architectural question about Hex. Uh, do you know if you're running the Kubernetes node, or pods inside of a deployment or a stateful set? I don't know, honestly. Okay. So Wojtek, one of the questions I would love to hear is kind of, was when, when you came to Platform Tech, was that your first jump into Elixir? Had you been doing Elixir before that? Or kind of what, what's your language background? Uh, sure. Um, so uh, I've been working with Elixir uh, professionally for, uh, I would say, a year and a half uh, before joining Plataformatech. Uh, and then uh, before that, uh, that was more of a hobby, um, I guess. I, uh, and, and yeah, uh, before that, I, I have... Uh, a Ruby background. I worked uh, with Ruby and Rails, and back in the day, PHP. <laughs> I'm still recovering from my PHP days. It's good to. I'm glad you made it here, Waytech. <laughs> yeah. Well, should we dive into a little bit about the releases and how they got used for HexPM? Um, one thing that I would really love to know, just um, kind of before we dive into any details is what was, what was your overall experience in terms of moving from a distillery release to uh, a mix-based release? Uh, 
Um, that's a good question. I think my overall experience was pretty good. Uh, honestly, I don't think there is a huge difference between distillery and uh, elixir releases. Uh, so, for example, if you already use distillery, switching uh, to Elixir releases is not um, it, it's not difficult at all. Like because you have already uh, you have already solved all of the uh, you have already so, uh, laid the foundation for for releases in your project. Um, and in terms of uh, my experience uh, moving hex uh, to use releases. Um, I think the most uh, annoying part was just getting the Docker image for one nine RC. Mm -hmm. um, uh, now that the uh, now that the stable version is out, uh, it's really easy. Um, besides that, um, I would say one other uh, kind of annoyance was uh, around running tasks like um, like migrations, um, which I, I know is. Which I think is also kind of a, maybe a little bit pain point for uh, for distillery. With Elixir releases, there is an eval uh, command that on, on the release script that you can use to run any code, and so uh, that's that's what we use. Um, over time, we uh, on on the Ecto project on the Ecto side of things, we've also ma made it easier to be able to run uh, migrations uh, from uh, releases. So on the on Ecto 3.1. Uh, or Ecto SQL, I guess. Uh, there is a new uh, Ecto Ecto SQL with migra um, Ecto migrator with migrations uh, function. Uh, I, I, I will send the link later. Uh, but but it basically starts the repository, starts the applications, uh, all all of the stuff that you otherwise um, might have to uh, do before. And now it's handled by Ecto. That's super nice. But once I had it working the first time, I just copied and pasted it. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with that. I uh, think I just copied from the distillery docs the uh, release tasks like module that you you dump in, and there's like five things that are just kind of like, well, uh, that's there, so I'm just assuming that needs to be there. <laughs> um, so ha having a, a a module that is already built into Echo SQLs uh, seems like it'd be pretty nice. Yeah. So um, Bitwalker or Paul Schoenfelder uh, was you, uh, kind of the lead on distillery and managing that project. Was he involved with the, the design of releases? Um, I'm not super fami familiar with that. I think he was. Um, um, but it, it kind of goes without saying that we probably wouldn't be uh, here without Paul's uh, work on the distillery. So um, obviously... We are all very grateful uh, to him. Indeed, he does a lot of stuff. So I had a, a similar situation that uh, you, you kind of outlined the Voitech with. Um, I, I, as soon as Elixir 1.9 release candidates were out, I was like, let me see if I can build and, and try playing with uh, releases. And then I, I hit that snag of, I don't have a Docker image that I can pull from. And I'll have to build from source or something. And that was, that was really what kind of slowed me down but yeah now that it is official people can be easily playing with it. the docker images are available um so how would you encourage uh people to start playing with it is like did you like are there any tips or tricks that you would say uh you probably just want to start over here and you know just just change it and see if it compiles like you know where would you tell people to go uh with releases uh right yeah and just moving to elixir one nine you know 
Um, uh, I, I guess let me let me uh, ask mm -hmm. this question. I, I assume it seems like there's no problem to run Elixir one nine and still be using distillery, right? I can move to one nine without making any other changes. Yes, yes, that's that's correct. So that that makes it easy as a as a kind of on ramp to get onto one nine. And then, okay, so now I'm ready to, to move, presumably from distillery uh, to releases. What's the first step I would need to do? Um, I would say, um, well, I, I guess there are two options. First option is just run mix release and see if it works. <laughs> it probably works out of the box, to be honest. Um, uh, just because... Um, uh, Distillery and uh, and Elixir releases are using slightly different files uh, in the rel directory. Um, so the Elixir releases have the um, EEX uh, template files, whereas um, Distillery has the one without the EEX. Um, so they basically wouldn't be picked up uh, automatically. But um, um, I, I would honestly just try that. Um, also, what you can do just to get started with releases, I would just create a new uh, 1.9 project and just run release, uh, mix release in it and mix release. Um, you don't have to write any any code to get started with releases. It's it's super easy. Um, and finally, uh, I would really encourage to uh, look at the documentation. The documentation for releases is really comprehensive and I think it's, um, uh, I, I think it's a really good resource uh, to get started. I will second that. The, the documentation is very good, especially when I was looking at it and it was like pre-release. Pre you know, it's like it wasn't even fully released and the documentation was still high quality. Yeah, and I'll just jump in to say I've started switching some of my side projects to 1.9 releases and uh, I haven't deployed it yet, but it's, it's like a total of like max four hours to like go from distillery to or 1.8 distillery to 1.9 distillery to figuring out you got to update your config providers a tiny bit. <laughs> um, and then like, uh, it's at least, it's at least compiling and, and building and I'm getting a release out. I haven't deployed it yet, but, uh, it, it seems like it's good. <laughs> and that's where you want to have like a staging or sandbox style environment, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the downside or the, the, that's the bad side to hobby projects is, uh, <clears throat> that staging is not free. <laughs> so, True. But it's, I guess if it's a hobby project, it's like, you know, people have to deal with potential short outages. It's very true. <laughs> the other day, um, my blog went down and somebody actually tweeted at me about it. And I was amazed that somebody had actually tried to read my blog. So I assume that I must have had a link somewhere on the internet, probably in a Stack Overflow comment. That's awesome that they were even able to figure out how to contact you when they couldn't access the blog, which presumably told them how to contact you. <laughs> Well, Wojtek, I would love to take a sidetrack and kind of talk a little bit about like the Elixir, the new MySQL library that was developed for Ecto. And I'd love to hear about kind of the motivations behind it and, um, you know, anything you can kind of give us like some reasons, like why did this need, why was this change needed and uh, what was the goals? Sure. Uh, so, um, so, so MarioX is actually one of the uh, older projects in the community. And since MarioX was uh, released, uh, a lot of things happened uh, in the community. Um, so, for example... Um, so, I think, sorry. I think I just noticed that the MariaEX project, I, I don't know that I ever really paid attention before, but it's not an official kind of Elixir project, right? It's a community-run one. Is that right? 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, so MarioX is a community-run project, which then, uh, so, so one of the reasons that we started with a new one was exactly because it's a community-run project. And so there is a, there is a big backlog of, uh, of things that, uh, uh, that aren't being worked on, like uh, bugs and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, we can't really blame them because they are volunteers and we are already extremely grateful for all of the work that uh, the contributors of MarioX have done um, over the years. And so with MyXQL, uh, uh, what we wanted to do is to kind of, um, is to, on one hand, kind of take, take the project off their back, uh, but also ensure that we are able to maintain the project very well, uh, respond to issues quickly. Um, and that makes sense because like I uh, just looking at like the Postgrex uh, official, like it's the, it's under the Elixir Ecto GitHub organization. And so I, I hadn't really thought about that, but you have the difficulty of like, we want to give MySQL users a good experience being able to use Elixir. And with it's a community run project, as awesome as that may be, we don't really have influence and can't come in and like kind of fix up all the things. So uh, yeah. Uh, exactly, and uh, um, as you mentioned, Postgrex uh, has been there since uh, since a long time ago. Uh, but uh, which goes back to one of the goals of the uh, of our R and D team at Plataformatech. Uh, people also run My MySQL, and so what we wanted to give them is a really good experience, and kind of con continue uh, uh, continue to give uh, people good experience with MyX. Uh, uh, with uh, MySQL, and that's where uh, the platformatics, uh, platformatic involvement comes in with uh, sponsoring that uh, the project. Nice. Now I haven't used the MySQL library yet, but I do have a project that um, is migrating a a Rails database to an Elixir one, and so it's migrating. So so it's kind of like during the migration period, we're accessing some of the models in a MySQL database and some of them are in a Postgres database. Um, if I wanted to migrate from uh, the Maria EX library to the MySQL, are there any uh, gotchas or any you know, or is it a drop-in replacement? Kind of what what should what should I expect? Um, uh, yeah, one of the goals was to exactly be a drop-in replacement, and uh, well, I, I'm biased, but but I think we did a pretty pretty okay job uh, in that. Um, we did uh, on the project. We do have um, Maria X. Uh, we have a um, Maria X compatibility page where we list all of the differences between the two drivers. Uh, that's on the GitHub repo, and uh, it, so, so you can see uh, where we deviated uh, from uh, what they did before. I am both super grateful that uh, someone is is building the MySQL driver, and also very much hope I don't ever have to use it. So I'm in a weird spot here. Yeah, I'll second that. I, I, I can see everyone's laughing with that, but they're just muted. Uh, <laughs> but yes, I, yeah, I understand. I, Postgres is a really great database. I love it. And that is my first choice to go to. So is, I don't know that we covered this, but is HexPM, is it using Postgres behind the scenes? And I'm, I'm assuming it's the Google Cloud provided one. Uh, like, what's the, yeah, what? Yeah, that, that, that's correct. Uh, we are using Postgres. Uh, yeah, that's how I have everything set up, just using the sidecar, and it's uh, super easy to get going. 
So you mentioned the R&D team again, and I was curious what other kinds of projects uh, that you work on in the community or uh, be the internal projects or, you know, how does kind of how is the R&D team run? I would love to hear about that. Um, so, so I guess I, uh, I already mentioned uh, MySQL my, my and Broadway, and again, this would be the two major um, major projects that we worked on. Uh, we have some uh, some internal projects, but we are not ready to talk about them yet uh, in public. Um, well, so, when you are, we'd love to hear about them here. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I guess uh, I guess under R and D team, we have a lot of flexibility what we are uh, what we want to tackle. Uh, but again, we always try to look at the projects that we want to tackle through that lens, how we can uh, give the most positive impact on the community. Um, and uh, yeah. Is some of that driven by, because you mentioned you, you work with clients as well. Um, is some of the, like recognizing a business need and then saying, well, you know, this really does make sense to be something that's more general that we could make uh, be a open source library. Is that part of what kind of drives some of these d the developments? Yes, that's a, a that's a great point. Um, uh, so okay, so this might uh, this may sound a little bit cliche, uh, but I think uh, this uh, situation that we have with working out a bit with clients, but also on the open source projects, uh, keeps us honest uh, because we don't, uh, you, you know, uh, because we also live in the real world with our clients. Uh, with, that are actually using our libraries. Um, so one of the things that exactly came from that situation was uh, Broadway. Um, so people were using GenStage for uh, for a few years, and when we were working with clients, we uh, started to seeing some of the problems uh, over and over again. Um, and uh, that's where the Broadway uh, project uh, came about, uh, basically encoding. Uh, these uh, best practices and uh, providing uh, even more features uh, on top. Very cool. Yes, I have watched uh, presentations, Jose Valim's uh, talk about Broadway, introducing that. And um, I'm not currently on a project where I need that at the moment. I I, I will be using that in the future, I know. Uh, but that is, uh, I, it, I was working previously with GenStage and had some of those exact problems that Broadway solves, which in my case was you, you're in a Kubernetes or you know, deployed environment where you have rolling deploys. So you need a clean way to shut down your gen stage and kind of drain the worker pool in a, in a clean way and let them all finish their, their tasks so you don't like just get something dropped halfway through. And uh, that's one of the s solutions that Broadway brings and I'm excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there are um, th there are even more features. So I'm not the best person to talk about Broadway, um, honestly. Uh, but um, one of the other features that is really uh, really useful is batching, um, which really uh, can uh, can dramatically improve performance uh, with uh, things like acknowledgments. Um, uh, but but yeah, the um, the draining of the queue that you mentioned that was by far the most uh, common. Uh, uh, occurrence where people just uh, just didn't didn't do it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In my case, I didn't know I needed to do it. Right. I just didn't think yeah. about that. <laughs> so, yeah. So like that is uh, I, I'm grateful that that you guys are 
do have that uh, real world client experience because you are seeing people where they have these problems and that informs the design. So it's not just like these, you know, ivory tower academic solutions. It's like, oh yes, well, it should work perfectly for you. You just, you shouldn't have any problems. You're just using it wrong. It's like, well, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, and I think it, it works really, really well where uh, maybe we get some feedback from the clients and then, uh, and then we kind of incorporate that back to the, um, uh, back to the, uh, to the ecosystem. Uh, a few weeks ago, I actually had a, a little bit of a reverse situation, which was basically uh, Eric ran into some problem in a library uh, uh, on, on Hex. And he, so, so we talk on IRC and things like that. He, and he just uh, asked a question whether someone um, ran into this particular issue. And I remember that I, a client ran into that issue. So I, uh, I had an answer for him. Uh, so yeah, it worked pretty, pretty well. I, I would love to know um, about what percentage of your time uh, on the R&D team do you think is spent with clients? Because um, I think this is a really amazing situation where um, where Plataforma Tech, I mean, clearly Plataforma Tech over the years has invested a lot into the Elixir community. Um, and it's really amazing that they're turning this into a sustainable business practice that they can um, continue to support the further developments in, in Elixir. So, um, you know, is this like a 50-50 time with clients and open source? Does it just depend month to month? Um, that's a good question. I so it basically depends. Um, so, so it's like Broadway or Gen Stage. It depends on demand. Um, I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself <laughs> there. Um, but we we do try uh, we do try to uh, spend uh, at least fifty percent uh, time on open source. Um, in some weeks, um, it might be uh, we spend. Uh, 70% and stuff like that, but, but it changes. But uh, yeah, I, I would say half and half is uh, probably a good. Uh, um. Also, do you know, um, you mentioned that you don't work as much on Broadway, but do you know, does the Broadway project have a lot of end-to-end -end kind of testing? Um, I, I imagine that things like making sure you drain cues correctly might be something that's difficult to unit test. And I'm curious if your team has any any testing um, best practices around those kinds of things where it's sort of, sort of concurrency related um, or maybe it's hard to write into a unit test? Um, yeah, so I don't yet have a ton of experience on Broadway as I, uh, as, as I mentioned, but um, I, I was actually fixing a couple of bugs uh, recently, uh, this week actually, and I would say the uh, the test suite is pretty good in terms of end, being end-to-end, uh, -end. so I, I, I'm almost sure that there are tests for that. Um, yeah. One, one thing maybe worth talking about uh, with regards to end-to-end -end testing is where um, is if you if you are getting data from some other sources, like for example, like Amazon SQS and, and things like that, now your end-to-end -end tests would um, now now does your end-to-end -end, uh, tests is actually talking to uh, SQS? Um, I actually ran into this problem uh, not that long ago. Um, oh, so so by the way. Um, so, so this is a bit of a tangent, but uh, as uh, one of my uh, contributions to Hex uh, recently, um, we are 
So, so I mentioned we have the Hex Talks, uh, which is an Elixir application. Uh, it actually uses uh, GenStage uh, for uh, kind of uh, working with um, with the Hex API serv service. Um, so basically, whenever someone uh, uploads a docs uh, tarball, uh, so the so the mix client when you when you do Hex uh, publish docs. Uh, it, uh, the X doc generates the docs. We we uh, turbo them and send them over. And basically, um, initially, uh, all of that uh, all of that stuff was handled by the Hex uh, application. Um, but uh, si since we moved uh, Hex docs into a separate application, um, we had an opportunity to move some code over. And and, and we also had uh, kind of operational uh, concern, concerns there. Um, so so by moving the Docs handling to hex docs. We offloaded uh, a lot of stuff off of the, off of the API. But but in any case, um, uh, I, I was actually uh, recently moving, uh, replacing our GenStage pipeline with Broadway uh, on hex docs. And so, um, and, and by the way, there's gonna be a blog post about that uh, pretty soon. You you heard that here first. Um, uh, but. Um, but, but yeah, we actually ran into that end-to-end -end situation when, when we're running the tests, like, well, uh, do, we, uh, do we try to connect to SQS during the tests? So we did, didn't want to do that uh, because of all sorts of reasons around networks uh, and stuff like that. So what we are working on uh, currently is uh, just to have a, a dummy producer that doesn't do anything. Uh, so it's not gonna... Um, so it's not gonna uh, pull uh, pull uh, jobs from, from from anywhere. Instead, uh, Broadway uh, already ships with a kind of testing API. Uh, so there is a Broadway test messages uh, function that kind of uh, puts an event into the uh, into the um, into the pipeline. And so we kind of can end-to-end -end test there. Uh, so, so I guess I guess your question was about end-to-end -end testing Broadway. I kind of went on a tangent to end-to-end -end testing your own application that uses Broadway, but maybe maybe it kind of makes sense. No, I think that's exactly what uh, Michael was trying to get at. Like how you know how can we test that you know as a user of the library? So that's awesome. I would also love to hear about um, my XQL because I think that's a case where um, where because you're writing the library you might want to actually run a copy of MySQL and connect to it. And I would imagine you probably connect to a few different versions of MySQL as part of the test suite. Can you, can you share just a little bit about that test suite? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, you are correct. Uh, so one of the, one of the uh, challenges with, uh, with the MySQL driver was exactly to handle different versions. Uh, they, they support different features of the protocol. One of them doesn't support this particular one, uh, the other uh, does, and, and, and stuff like that. So um, what I ended up doing is on my on my machine, I only have one version. Um, I think it's eight, but I also uh, set up a uh, I basically use the Docker to to use, to test against different versions uh, locally. Uh, so in the repository, there's a Docker Compose file with I think at least eight versions, um, and uh, I added some scripts to be able to run tests against all of them or a particular test around, uh, against a subset of the versions and things like that. 
Um, so yeah, I, I would say um, supporting all of these different versions was pretty challenging, but I would say that the Docker uh, being able to run them in containers was extremely helpful. Um, one, maybe another, uh, another thing worth mentioning with regards to uh, testing uh, on MySQL was, ex uh, again, different versions have different feature sets and using XUnit uh, excludes and includes was extremely helpful. So whenever there is a feature that may have varying support, we tag it in our tests. Uh, and so in different scenarios, we may run the test suite without uh, specific tags. Um, and what, what, what we do is uh, when we start the test suite, we kind of figure out, um, basically figure out where we are, like what's the version, what kind of the features it supports. Uh, and then we uh, build a list of excluded or included tags uh, in the test suite, and then the test does the rest. Um, so I would say uh, that feature of XUnit was extremely helpful for, um, for building a test suite in a library that uh, needs to support uh, different situations. Nice. Yes, XUnit is awesome. I really like it. It's a great testing library, and I love that it's part of the, the core system. So one of the other kind of fun topics that I think is just interesting is you wrote uh, a library some time ago uh, called OOP, and uh, but it's an Elixir library, and you actually presented on this. And this was like before you were actually doing full-time Elixir work, uh, but maybe you could just kind of... Uh, I think people should check it out because I'll we'll put a link to it in the show notes. But it is, I'll, I'll kind of give the little tagline, like it's a GitHub project. It says, are you tired of all those modules, processes, and function nonsense? Do you want to just use classes, objects, and methods? If so, use OOP, library in Elixir. And it's like each one's got like, you know, footnotes. And the footnotes are like... Uh, like don't use it, <laughs> like don't actually use it yes. uh, or yes. something, yeah. <laughs> if I recall. Yeah, yeah, like so the first footnote on OOP is like, actually, Alan, I love this because this is true with Alan Kay. Actually, according to the Alan Kay, to Alan Kay, uh, the inventor of OOP objects is the lesser idea, the bigger idea is messaging. And he's he'd gone on to say, uh, you know, like that what we have with C++ is not what he intended with object-oriented. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a more about messages but uh, also that you're like, don't actually use this library. But it's a very complete library. And it's like, I, could you just kind of, you know, kind of walk people through like, like what made you want to do this? And, uh, and like, what was, I don't know, cause it's funny, it's like you've done, and how is it actually working behind the scenes? Right, um, so the reason that I wrote the library was I was really curious if I would be able to. Um, and because I was, um, I think, um, it, it was very interesting to me that Elixir metaprogramming uh, kind of features allowed to build kind of a language, like, like not really, but kind of, you know? Um, so so the, the library was definitely a wild experiment um, in that, but, um, well, first of all, I, uh, I, I learned a lot about uh, macros and stuff like that, but, but also it was uh, interesting to, uh, to try to um, uh, to try to implement some of these crazy features uh, that I that I had there, uh, like, like uh, inheritance and 
and, 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 and stuff like that. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I, so, so I remember, so, so as, I, as I mentioned, I, uh, I have background in the Ruby community and I, and I remember, I, I think it might have been one of uh, Gary, Bern, Gary Bernhardt's uh, Destroy All Software episodes. Um, about this kind of idea that like if uh, with languages that have uh, metaprogramming uh, capabilities, if something is not a syntax error, you can make it work. Uh, and that was, uh, that, that was definitely with this OOP. Yeah, if I was able to write this class something, um, uh, do define methods and stuff, stuff like that, if that wasn't a syntax method, I knew that I, that I could uh, make it work. Um, I also uh, vaguely remember there, there was actually a destroy all software um, episode on writing an object, uh, kind of like a class syntax from from scratch. Uh, I also remember that um, that Avdi Green uh, um, worked uh, on some related uh, stuff. But um, but yeah, uh, that was um, that, that was a fun project uh, to work on, and. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I give a lightning talk that I was, and, and people seemed to, to enjoy that. Uh, so that, uh, was, I, that was fun. I know uh, my coworker and I, like when we've hired somebody new or something, or just kind of want to show them, it's like, yeah, look what you can do with Elixir. And because, you know, Alan Kay and object-oriented programming is actually closer to Erlang. And, you know, so it's, it's, we've, we've used that not in terms of using the library, but using it as a reference and just kind of a, a fun yeah. little uh, kind of a joke. But yeah. there is a more serious library that you wrote that was very helpful for me. Uh, years ago, um, there was a, it's on your GitHub, uh, but it is called Acme Bank. And what this was is an, an example umbrella project. Because this was like three years ago. Yeah, so, um, so I prepared, prepared the project for a talk that I've given at Elixir Conf uh, 2016. Um, and uh, so, so basically, it was me exploring the uh, umbrella uh, project features and uh, some different ways of stru structuring um, Elixir applications. That, that was uh, also just around the time that uh, Phoenix contexts were uh, kind of in discussions. Um, so I, I got a chance to talk with uh, Phoenix team uh, um, around around these topics uh, as well. Yeah, I just found it a very helpful because, I, um, like, when you're first trying to understand umbrella projects and like where, because you have contexts, and I've I've worked with people where they've tried to um, basically something that is a, a context that is like a business context, like it is part of their core logic. They're trying to move that into a separate umbrella application, and it was just not appropriate because they still wanted all these relational diet, you know, uh, entities, and and just they were putting the line in the wrong place. And so it's really helpful for me to try and understand what does make sense for where do the pieces go. So yeah, that is a, a talk that uh, people should definitely check out if they're trying to understand, kind of getting their head into umbrella projects. Uh, but this this project, you know, hasn't been touched in two years. Uh, let it stand on its own, uh, but it's uh, it was very helpful for me in understanding and kind of getting my head in there. And if you look through the closed issues, you'll see one of my questions in there, which you answered. So. Oh wow! 
Um, yeah, so, so maybe uh, I just wanted to add one more thing about uh, kind of why I created this project. And what I, what I wanted to do is to have a project a little bit, which is just a little bit more than a Hello World, mm -hmm. but maybe not, not, not so huge that you can't really, um, you know, that you can't really understand it or, some, or something. So when I was first starting with Elixir, when Really, when, when I first got really uh, serious about Elixir, um, what I was doing, I, I was uh, looking at Hex uh, PM. Uh, and so kind of looking for how it's doing things, um, how it's using Phoenix or Ecto and stuff like that. And uh, um, I kind of wanted to, to do a little bit similar thing with, with the Acme Bank uh, to have a project that people could look at, but they could uh, run locally, um, try to deploy, um, uh, things like that. What was kind of helpful about this project was that um, I could, whenever there were uh, like new features uh, with regards to um, umbrellas uh, in Elixir, I, could, uh, I, I had a project uh, handy that I could test them against uh, to make sure that makes sense, that they work, uh, stuff like that. And I should also mention, you know, uh, if people want to look at the code for HexPM, it is an open source project that they can download and actually, you know, kind of browse around if they're trying to understand a real world project. And this is not a, an umbrella project, and which is just a testament to me that like, not everything needs to be an umbrella, right? Some things is just fine to be a Phoenix app and just kind of have it well organized within there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um... Um, I would say, well, there's the old adage, pick the right tool for the right job. Um, so, so definitely, uh, as of right now, I don't think Hex uh, PM has to be an umbrella. Um, like, for, like, again, some of the other projects that we have in the ecosystem, like the Hex docs, that's not even a Phoenix project. That's just a plug. That's just using plug. And, you know, that's, that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I actually was also really impressed earlier. You mentioned that Hexdocs for a long time wasn't even an Elixir project. It was it was just you know statically compiled uh, HTML, which which is amazing. I really love that um, that there's a design aesthetic within the Elixir community that includes the a lot of these core teams, which is about kind of the minimalism where we'll, we'll try to solve the hard problems and we'll try to provide a really good experience for you but we're not going to be very opinionated on how you structure your application. And there's, there's a spectrum there. Some projects are, um, have more opinions than others, but, uh, but I really love the fact that the Elix community encourages people to explore. Um, one other question I had, when is there going to be an R&D project around pimento cheese, or have you just not announced it yet? Um, uh, that's a great question. This may or may not be one of these uh, projects that we are not quite ready to talk about yet. <laughs> Pimento cheese, like the actual cheese. <laughs> oh man, the teasers in the Elixir community right now are so strong. <laughs> All right, well, we are coming up on our time and we don't want to keep you too much longer, but uh, is there anything else you want to mention on any of these topics that we've already covered that you think we should uh, at least talk about a little bit more? Um, I, I think we covered the material pretty well. Um, I guess uh, what I would say is um, with Broadway uh, in particular, uh, where our focus is, uh, is with um, creating uh, connectors. Uh, and so if you, uh, if you 
really need a connector for a particular source, definitely let, let us know. Um, and um, same same with uh, same with Broadway and stuff like uh, Elixir releases. Um, I, I would encourage uh, everyone to um, to test uh, these new features um, and to give us feedback uh, on them. Uh, and uh, finally, I, I guess maybe one more thing with uh, with regards to Hex uh, PM is um, as I mentioned, Hex PM was one of the projects where I. Uh, where I started to get serious about Elixir, and so um, so to me personally, what was extremely helpful was that um, Eric was extremely uh, nice to work with, kind of you know helping with my um, first steps uh, in uh, in working on the project, and so and uh, we uh, and I think Hex and many other projects like that are uh, are very friendly to newcomers. And definitely, uh, with other projects, but in Hex in particular, we really encourage uh, new contributors and uh, new contributions. There is a, there is always uh, a lot of stuff to do, um, but um, but I, I also think it's a pretty cool project to work on, exactly because um, you can kind of see um, because it is an open source project that is non-trivial, so you can see a lot of real-world uh, problems that it solves. Um, but at the same time, uh, if you if you add a feature uh, to Hex, uh, that may actually have a big impact on the community because uh, a lot of people are using it. True, and I know. Uh, speaking of Hex, um, you had a recent feature that you uh, added, and here's the link to the pull request in the show notes. But I think it was the ability to diff between different library versions. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. Um, so uh, that's uh, so between between when we uh, thought uh, about adding this feature and now, uh, as you may have heard, there was another um, issue. So this time in the Ruby community, uh, uh, one of the packages was owned. Uh, I think strong password. Yes, uh, and so uh, so the idea was uh, the idea behind the diff feature is to be able to uh, basically run mix hex package diff and the uh, uh, name of the package and two versions and see exactly what is changed between um, bet between the uh, the contents of the actual package tarballs, uh, so you can browse what exactly changed between um, between the versions and hopefully um, uh, and hopefully you will. Um, yeah, well, uh, in the worst case, you will you will avoid getting owned. But in general, uh, we kind of uh, we encourage people to check uh, what they are updating to, um, make, making sure that um, that that they are that they are aware with the um, yeah basically that that they are uh, you know uh, that they are updating to the right things that they handle. Yeah. Dependency as well. Um, yeah, I did hear about that, uh, and I included a, a link. But uh, you can just kind of Google for it, where the, the strong passwords gem. Uh, basically, the uh, in the Ruby community, they the maintainer his he lost control of his GitHub account, I believe. It, no, it was his hex. It was his uh, Ruby Gems account, I, I believe. Ruby Gems yeah. account, yes. And so someone uh, put up a malicious version which wasn't in the source code, like in the GitHub source code and being able to diff 
it was, it was a very uh, astute and aware person who went and took the initiative to say, well, this, there was a release and it's, I don't see any notes on it. He always reads the change log. So he goes and has to manually diff it, finds the bug or the, or the uh, malicious code and gets, gets reported that way. So I think that's a, an awesome tool to help people who do have, especially when you're in compliance environments where you need to have a greater understanding of the dependencies that we have and the dependencies on the dependencies. Uh, you know, so it, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's something that we just kind of, you know, in this day we need to be aware of. And so, yeah, it's an awesome tool. Appreciate that uh, addition. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so security is definitely extremely important in projects like Hex. Uh, so, this diff uh, diff command was one of the aspects. Uh, um, we have some ideas for improvements to that to do that as well. Like, for example, um, instead of specifying two versions, it would be smart enough to know, oh, like you are already using this version, um, and maybe test against the latest possible version or the version that you would be able to update to uh, provided your uh, version constraints uh, stuff like that and uh, hey if you wanna if anyone listening wants to help on that uh, that would be fantastic so if, do, if people are interested in contributing to hex pm or hex docs or anything like that um, where's the best place for them to go where would you direct them um, I would say just go to the issue tracker and uh, open an issue uh, if you want to add something. Um, but definitely look at the existing issues. Um, so we try to keep uh, like pr pretty much everything around Hex is, is open source and uh, the communication is also mostly uh, in the issue, tra issue tracker. Um, there is also um, a Hex uh, Slack channel on the Elixir Slack. Um, so that's a, that's a good place to ask questions as well. But uh, yeah, I, I would say um, add, uh, look, look at the issue tracker or uh, add more issues if you, if you run into any troubles. And uh, yeah, we would be happy to, happy to help. Awesome. Great. Well, let's uh, move to picks. Eric, do you have something you can share? Yeah, so I help uh, co-organize a small unconference called ResFest. Uh, I wish I got a shirt on today, but uh, no one else can see that. Um, so it's a small unconference of 50 people or less in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, um, where we talk about all things web API in a pretty chill uh, environment. Um, so you don't need to do REST, GraphQL is more than welcome, <clears throat> uh, SOAP if you're still using that. Um, any, like anything web API related is, is uh, cool to come and chat. Um, we've actually got a small growing Elixir like set of people, which was really cool. Last year I went, I was like, oh yeah, I'm doing Elixir. And then like three people walked over. I was like, whoa. Because <laughs> um, there's a lot of like, uh, more enterprisey folks that, that that attend because their their big companies are are doing web APIs and whatnot. So it's cool cool to hear uh, Elixir uh, is is getting out there. So that's uh, riskfest.org. Nice, Michael. All right, two quick picks this week uh, for me. So first off, I'll drop a link to uh, a video. This comes from uh, Codebeam STO this year, Codebeam Stockholm. And there was a great talk on someone who is doing a re-implementation of the Beam in Rust. 
and uh, it's a very entertaining talk. He's he's very much realistic about um, the fact that the purpose of this isn't to try to replace the beam anytime soon, but it is an exploration. And again, I think it goes along with a theme that we've heard in the Elixir community, which is it's it's okay to try to reinvent the wheel if you're exploring. Like if your purpose is to learn and to push the boundaries, to try something new, that's great. Um, and this project frame fits into that. Uh, and and he's a very good presenter, does a great job of uh, kind of poking fun at his own project a little bit here and there. Um, so highly recommend that. And the GitHub repo behind the project is also open source and uh, has a lot of issues and things where you can kind of follow along with what he was doing. It's a good read. Uh, and then also there is a hex package, speaking of hexpm, called Veritaserum. And it does uh, some text analysis to try to gauge whether or not a given message is relatively positive or whether it's relatively negative. Um, and I had an idea recently around like a chat bot that watches out for if people on your team are having a bad day and it can just remind them of some of the good things that have happened recently on the team, you know, because I think all of us can uh, sometimes just be unreasonably down in the dumps about things. Um, but, you know, we all have that cognitive bias that the negative feedback um, sometimes resonates more inside of our brains than positive feedback. And so uh, just having, I was kind of playing around with this idea of like injecting some more positive things when needed. And uh, this package looked great. It was like a great place to start and it didn't require any reading about machine learning or <laughs> uh, GPU instances on AWS to get it running. So a uh, big hat tip to the people behind Veritaserum. Have you, have you considered building the bot such that if it continues to see lots of negative stuff and doesn't have a big pool of positive things to remind people about, it begins to become negative and remind people about bad things? <laughs> I didn't consider that, but maybe it would just start to rage quit. It would just like the, the table flip emoticon, start posting that all over. Yeah, it sounds like science is all I'm saying. Awesome. Uh, Josh, how about you? All right, so I have, I'm going to say it's two picks, but the second pick involves a few URLs, so there you go. Uh, the first thing is this um, article on how Dart deploys code in 50 milliseconds, and I came across this in the past, I guess, week, and it's kind of a programming language and deployment environment and development environment and feature flags built in at the language level and continuous delivery all in one package, which is... A strange thing and I have no idea if it's um, long-term valuable but it's really neat that someone's doing it so um, if nothing else the blog post is really interesting to read um, so that's number one the second one is generally the concept of uh, capabilities based programming or capabilities based security and uh, the first I heard of it was in this language called E and the reason I was thinking about it recently is because Fuchsia's uh, which is Google's new Android replacement operating system uh, actually has capabilities sort of at the at the foundational operating system level and I thought that was a very cool thing and so those are two nifty advances in in computering I think that I saw this week I have not heard of dark Lang that is interesting I'll have to check that out all right and for myself um, I'm excited to announce my new website it is thinkingelixir.com it is for online courses. So if you are an individual starting out with Elixir, I understand the challenges of being new to immutable data types and functional programming and the challenges of needing to change the way you think. And if you are on a team of Elixir developers and you're trying to hire new people and they probably don't have Elixir skills already and you need a quick way to help bring them up to speed, 
that's what this is for. So currently I'm launching the first course, which is on pattern matching and it is a free course and additional courses are in the works. So I would love to have people jump in and uh, as they get involved, I'd love to hear uh, feedback and help guide future courses and making sure I'm able to address all the concerns that people are encountering on their journey with Elixir. So that's it for me. Wojtek, what about you? I have two picks. Uh, the first Elixir pick is a talk uh, given by Sasha Urich uh, called The Soul of Erlang and Elixir. And I would say that if you are already using Elixir, working with Elixir, you, are probably, you, you probably know most of these things already that he talks about. But I would say it is uh, one of the best, best, if not the best, talk about introducing Elixir to people that haven't heard about it or to CTOs and, uh, and such. So I, I highly recommend watching this talk, even, even if you uh, already know Elixir. I, I think Sasha uh, does a fantastic job, uh, did a fantastic job on this talk, and I would uh, spread the word because I think he really, he really distilled uh, a lot of great features of the platform into, uh, into a talk. Um, so yeah, highly recommend it. Um, my second pick is um, a, a little thing that I did a while ago, which is uh, remapping uh, caps lock to escape. Um, and uh, I, I think a lot of people already did that, uh, like with, uh, with the touch bar uh, laptops and, and stuff like that. Uh, but the twist here is that uh, also what I do is, so when I, when I press the caps lock, it uh, acts as an escape, but when I hold it, it acts as control, uh, control key. Um, and so, so some keyboards uh, support that on the hardware level or, or the firmware level. Uh, you can also use uh, software like Carabiner Elements uh, uh, to do that. But, but I highly recommend this because then uh, by doing this, you basically have less movement uh, of your hands and so uh, less uh, chance of RSI and stuff like that. And, and honestly, it's super easy to to get used to it, and I feel like it's just more, way more comfortable than uh, than otherwise. And uh, yeah, uh, caps lock is pretty much useless unless you shout on the internet. <laughs> yeah, and uh, to be a good net citizen, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, that is interesting. The idea of uh, uh, determining the, the difference between a long press and a short press on the keyboard—it's cool. Yeah, so, so, so actually uh, the, there was even a, an old Lisp keyboard. Um, I, I don't remember the name of the top of my head, but they also had that thing where if you press the shift, it acts as shift. If you just tap on it, uh, it uh, the less left shift is for the left parentheses, uh, which I guess would make sense to optimize. Parents. With Lisp, everything is parentheses, right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Wojtek, it was awesome uh, talking with you today. If people want to get in touch with you or follow you online, where should they go to do that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Wojtek uh, Mach, uh, also on GitHub. I, um, yeah, uh, feel free to reach out. My DMs are open. Um, you can also find me on uh, IRC and Slack. I'm pretty much using the same username everywhere. Great. Eric, if people want to get in touch with you, where should they go? Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Eric Ostrich. Michael, how about you? I'm MMM Reese, kind of all around the internet, GitHub and Twitter and stuff like that. So just remember, mm, Reese. <laughs> and Josh? I am Neuter, K-N-E-W-T-E-R, because I was 14 once and that's funny. Um, 
And uh, yeah, you can go there and follow me if you want to get mad about the way that I feel about things. <laughs> and I am at Brainlid on Twitter and Brainlid on GitHub and uh, Brainlid.org on my blog. So yeah, you can get in touch with all of us that way. We'd love to hear uh, ideas for the show, uh, feedback on the show. But that's it. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed our uh, episode today and our talk, and we hope you'll join us next week on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.